Welcome in everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker, joined as always with Santiago Beltran. We're here on October 1st as we record this, the day after a 4-1 victory over Sporting Kansas. And it's another celebratory day. Santi and I are both over the moon excited for this. Cannot wait to dig into all of the uh, analysis, info, stats about this win. Super excited. Santi, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. First day of the month and um, City basically wrapped up um, first place. Um, yeah, not mathematically yet. I uh, have to wait this afternoon to see what happens with LAFC. But even if LAFC gets a result, I think it's going to be really difficult for LAFC to uh, catch up to City. So it's great. And um, victory against Kansas it's always great. Um, City taking the series, so uh, feeling great, Matt. Oh yeah, and it's it continues the story of us owning our own destiny, able to control our own future with wins, with the the necessary draws, and very much in the driver's seat. So let's dig into it because we have a lot to touch on about this exciting matchup and a nerve wracking one for a little while. But end of the day, it was as exciting as we hoped it would be. Starting eleven, Santi. Let's look at it. Roman Berkey. Anthony Markanik, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Jake Nerwinski, AZ Jackson, Edu Leuven, Jabulu Blom, Indiana Vasilev, Sam Adeneron, and Joao Klaus. What did you make of that starting 11? Well, um, going with with your best guys um, to get this this classical going. Um, during the the preview on Thursday uh, on the on the predicted lineup, I think both you and I didn't have Sam Adeniran uh, starting, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I had Jared Stroud in for Indiana Vasilev, but otherwise, I think yeah. we were spot on. Yeah, I had, uh, I had um, instead of Vasilev, I had uh, Celio, and both of us had Joachini. I didn't think Sam Adeniran was going to start just because um, he had been nursing an injury. He wasn't featured the last game. So I was thinking, oh, we'll probably play the the second half, but just Bradley Carnell just had his best guys out there. Um, it was good to see Nerwinski out there again. He earned that yeah. star. We we have been talking about that uh, during the last podcast. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I saw the line. I was like, well, he, rivalry game, going for it, trying to put that dagger on Sporting Kansas, and I was happy about that lineup. And not just uh, Jake Nerwinski for a second, not just getting another chance, but I think as we talk through this episode, one of the things that we might not mention Jake's name very often, but very consistent, very, very strong defensive performance. He he led a lot of the, the movements on the right side. He continued to do what's necessary to, in, in conjunction with everybody else, with Anthony Markanik as more of an attacking left back, he is cementing himself, I think, in our best 11 as we push to the playoffs. Because as we continue this conversation of what our best 11 is, what it looks like any given game, not only does it matter who we're playing, but I think as this team has continued to just advance and evolve in their identity and different players return from different injuries, you're seeing um, who works best together. And, and with Nilsson, Parker, and Nerwinski, that's allowing a pretty stable three center back in an attacking look. And we are going to mention Marcanic multiple times in the, in his impact in the attack. And as he's kind of stepped into his own, they've kind of just evened each other out. And Jake has provided some stability on the right side. When you have that attacking minded left back, it, it's almost like a return to the identity we had at towards the beginning of the year, not necessarily with the same personnel mm-hmm. because Sam and Enron's come onto his own. Obviously we have Anthony Marcanic, but with Jake coming back into that role and, and he's proven himself in these, these wins and draws so much so that his name has to be right there with everybody else, like a Parker and Nilsson. When you think of who our strongest 11 at the moment is going into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great that uh, he has earned some minutes and when he got that opportunity, he, he took it and, and played well and actually had a chance to uh, talk to him earlier this week for the player interview I, I had to do for the broadcast. And uh, he said, yeah, it's a competition between Akil and I. And he said, we, we get along really well, but that has brought the best of each of us. So um, it's great to see that he's doing well. 
All right, Santi, let's look at how this team kind of did, how the starting 11 did. Because when you look at the passing network, especially in the first half, uh, we had a lot of chances created. It was a very back and forth first half. I actually was kind of impressed by the amount of uh, chances we had. Obviously didn't finish any of them, mm-hmm. but I, I felt like it was a good first half uh, as far as our ability to create meaningful chances. And it really was done through the midfield, in my opinion, largely. We had Jabulu Blom and Edu Leuven progressing the ball quite a bit. The first half, we actually dominated possession. We had over 50% possession. Uh, it, it actually kind of lowered as the half went on, but there was a period of time there in the middle of the first half where it was mid-50s or so when I was checking the stats. It was kind of kind of interesting to see this the different style play out. And, and when you do this, uh, there, there's a few things you could look to is – is it a problem with City's identity? Is City not having success against Sporting Kansas City? And it it almost is very interesting because you know that is the opposite of what both teams want to do. Sporting Kansas City is obviously a possession-based team. They want to control the ball, but you're seeing City control the ball in the first half. And so moving the ball through through the middle, through the wings with Anthony Marcanic and, and having some of those consistent outlets, I saw two things in the first half. I saw consistent transition work early and so it was almost I I think I tweeted it was almost possession by transition and so the number of transition moments that we were creating the number of opportunities was just by sheer volume making our possession numbers a little more inflated it wasn't necessarily early that we were passing the ball around a consistent amount it was that we were just getting the number of chances up to Sam up to Klaus and so that was it was good to see because that was we were having success progressing the ball in that manner as the half went on, I did feel like it was a little more intentional that we were playing the ball on the ground. We were trying to get those those movements up the field and take sporting out of their element just a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, so that was interesting to see from Edu Leuven and Jabulu Blom in particular. And if you look at the the average passing network chart that we, we like to talk about, Leuven and Blom were by and large pretty right there next to each yeah. other in the midfield. And in the the starting lineup that we ran out, I saw it especially defensively as a flat four four two, where you had uh, AZ on the left, you had Indy on the right, and then obviously our two strikers. But when we went to offense, it did shift a little bit where Marcanic was pushing up on the left a little higher. You had AZ tucked in underneath, so you had when you're talking about the left wing, it was basically Anthony Marcanic running it, and then in the channels, it was AZ and Indy doing a lot of the work. I thought it was effective. Um, to an extent, you know, we didn't finish what we needed to do. We had a pretty good XG actually. So that was another thing that I was actually impressed with is our overall XG numbers in the first half were really high. They were high. They were higher than Sporting Kansas City. They were 1.63 XG for St. Louis, 0.68 for Sporting Kansas City. The number of, or the, the quality of chances rather by St. Louis was far better than what Sporting had. And I really did think that outside the first five minutes, where Sporting led in XG because of the first couple of shots off by Valencia and Shallowy, it was a, a, a half dominated by City opportunities. You had Roman Berkey setting the tone right off the bat with a big save just uh, two minutes and 30 seconds in. And then as this half progressed, two shots by Klaus, two shots by Sam, two shots by AZ, and one by Indy. Our entire attacking for, front four were getting involved. So that was good to see. Yeah, no, great, great first half. Um, but you always uh, you create chances, but don't score. And um, with the game scoreless, I, I was a little concerned uh, that Sporting KC was gonna come uh, guns blazing for the second half, and and they they did. They they started to have uh, really well. Um, but um, no, I think the team did a good job on the first half. Um, obviously didn't finish those chances. But what you were saying about uh, St. Louis uh, keeping more possession, um, I, I agree with you um, on, on the second part that the way City was doing it was like, okay, uh, I know you guys like to have the ball, but I'm just going to take it and not give you a chance. So uh, that's another wrinkle on um, the things that the team can do to uh, neutralize opponents. After the first half, though, I thought that the second half, it definitely had a different tone. There was, uh, there was a few things that I saw that really kind of set that tone in the second half that changed things from the first. Um, one of them, I was very, this was a very notable moment to me in the 56th minute. So after the second half, no subs are made. 
you go into the second and this is one of those pivotal moments. We, I, I love to talk about three moments that kind of change the game for long periods of time. The beginning, right at the end of halftime and the beginning of the second half because you have opportunities to either play large portions of the game after those, those big game-changing moments or you have to go into the locker room and sit and think about what you've done or what you've been able to do and get some different coaching. The 56th minute, I was impressed by by the St. Louis defense because Sporting Kansas City had a build-up opportunity. It was quick. It was effective. They were stretching the field. They were in transition a little bit. They were moving the ball from their left to right. They found a hovering Alan Polito near the top of the box. When you see this play on the replay, I would think back to that September 2nd game against, against St. Louis in Kansas. When Polito was doing that same thing, very effective, just sitting outside the box, waiting for the defense to stretch, waiting for the defense to fall back a little bit, maybe towards their own goal or pull themselves wide and create space centrally. Polito did this exact same thing, but St. Louis learned from it. Joachim Nilsson was right there to stop, step up and break up the play. When he did that, I felt like, okay, this is, this is a key moment in which Sporting Kansas City went back to the well. They tried to do exactly the same thing in their build-up play that they did that was successful against St. Louis earlier this month or earlier last month. But we learned from it. We had a man right there. I don't know if Nilsson was marking Polito. I don't know if he knew exactly where he was at all times. But his positioning was so much better than the, the cohesive positioning last month for City. And that was incredibly impressive for me to see. And then just three minutes later, after Kansas City is still pressing, still trying to get their shots on in that early part of the second half, Roman Berkey had the save sequence of the night. Three saves after a corner. There was the ball was shot off centrally. It was from his left. It was from his right. He was moving all parts of the goal. He had a magnificent save where he jumped up and it looked like it went off the crossbar and his body before mm-hmm. it was cleared. And not just the fact that he was able to move so quickly and be so effective in making himself bigger in goal, but immediately after that sequence, the ball was then intercepted by Indy. So our defense is still playing a part and being very intentional they're they're not getting outside of themselves they're not letting the moment overwhelm them in all this this barrage of shots but when Indy gets that ball he's able to pass it over to Klaus Klaus gets it passes high to Indy on the right in uh in transition Indy takes it and this was the moment that I think the entire stadium was saying we're gonna get Jabulu Blom's second goal I know because that he was streaking down the middle at that point Indy just barely missed him and and it it didn't end up being anything. But that that whole sequence was, I think, a, a game changer for shifting some of the momentum. Yeah, great save by Berkey. And and yeah, when I saw Blum up there, I was like, what is he doing there? But uh yeah, at the end, uh the play didn't materialize, but it just shows how dangerous City can be in the transition. And uh that happened um the last game. Uh, I don't remember if it was the last game of the previous game. You get a big save, and right away, you're already uh, on the other half uh, creating chances. So, uh, so yeah, it didn't materialize, but uh, but that was one of those game-changing moments, as you said. Yeah, the other game-changing moment that happened very, fairly quickly after that, just five minutes later, were the substitutes. When when the subs came in, I I was I, seeing this. You know, they were kind of lining up a few minutes early, and so you see, okay, Stroud and Joe Keeney are going to come in. Who are they going to come in for? The assumption is that they're going to come in for maybe Indy and Sam or yeah. uh, take out one of the attacking midfielders and Sam and Denneron. But what happened is we saw Indy and AZ go off. And so you're seeing a little opportunity here for maybe you're looking at three forwards. Maybe you're looking at uh, getting Nico at the 10. So what happened, and Bradley Carnell said this post game. I thought his comments were pretty on the nose of what he was trying to do with those subs. Carnell said post game, yeah, I just knew we needed to get. You could see that Ndende was a real, Ndembe was a real quality going forwards. He's a real sort of injection in their final third, so that's always difficult to track. And I just saw we were getting tired in the lanes with AZ and with Indy. So strategically, obviously Jared, where he normally plays down the left side, we call those guys, those three guys in tens. We needed to get pressure on Ndembe. And I thought with the change of system and energy that Jared brought, he was brave. He took a few risks in the pressing moments. And if you read the timing of the pass right and you read the connection, you see the pressure from Sam and Klaus, and he can get on the jump. Nico Joachini played a massive role in this too. Then Carnell said, 
I always told the three strikers, I had a meeting with them earlier in the week, and I said, one of you are going to play, two of you are going to play. I'm not sure if all three of you are going to play, but I'll do my best to try and get them on the field. <sighs> so what happened here is the three strikers came on the field. Joe Akini dropped down to the 10. Mm-hmm. It, it was pretty clear to me, especially defensively, that we shifted from a flat 4-4-2 to a diamond midfield. You had Leuven switching over to the left. You had Blom as the pivot. You had Stroud actually on the right side. And then Joe Keeney as the 10 or the the false nine, second stroke, however you want to refer to him. But he was definitely underneath Klaus and Sam. And that gave Nico Joe a lot of freedom to move around. Joe Keeney didn't find net, but he definitely impacted play both in drawing a key foul in his, in his area as the 10, but also in his movements off the ball. thought that was very impressive. And that's one of those things along with well, a lot of what Jabulu Blom does that it doesn't get a lot of credit when you're moving off the ball and you're not showing up on the score line, but Nico Joachini did a great job. And I, I wanted to call that out because over the next few minutes, we're not going to mention a whole lot of Nico Joachini. Uh, it's going to focus on Jared Stroud, Joao Klaus, Sam Adeneron. Um, Before we go into the goals, though, Santi, I do want to call out. We talked about possession in the first half, how St. Louis dominated possession. The only two five-minute periods in the second half that St. Louis dominated possession was 70 to 75, and 80 to 85. And those mm-hmm. are obviously the goal scoring windows that we had where I don't think, again, it was necessarily dominating possession by just the way that Sporting Kansas dominates possession, trying to move the ball around intentionally left to right, spread the field. It was consistent transition opportunities. The number of shots we were able to get off, the number of moments we were able to create, all of those things led to these high, very sh- small windows of possession. So anything before we go into the goals that you saw in the second half or with the subs that you really want to talk about? Yeah, I uh, want to go back to, to Joachini. Edu Leuven uh, mentioned it post-game. Uh, he was like, yeah, sometimes he, get, he gets frustrated because he didn't score. But he basically said what you were saying, that he even if he doesn't score, he, he does a great job finding spaces doing other things um, and he showed that yesterday you don't see you don't see him on the score sheet but but he was doing the the dirty job playing behind a uh, Klaus and a Denier and so so it's it, to me it was I was surprised to, that um, the three of them were playing uh, I really thought uh, that the substitution was going to be Joaquini for a Denier and but um, you have three dangerous guys and, and figuring out a way to use the three of them at the same time is great. And we're going to see more of this. So that leads us into the excitement. So we'd gone, we'd gone, what, 70 minutes at this point, 73 minutes by the time it happens with nerve wracking, just entire pressure. Fan base is anxious. I, had, uh, I, I, I brought a couple friends with me last night and one of them said, but coming from Kansas city. He was saying that, uh, the, the entire ambiance, the noise and everything was just like a crescendo that was building and you never knew when it was going to pop off. It just felt like it was constantly (laughs) building and it definitely felt like it popped off there at 73 minutes. So let's, let's start the festivities in proper here. Sam and Deneron from Edu Leuven, but it started with, uh, with a Jared Stroud foul draw. So Jared Stroud started this off drawing a foul from Logan and Dembe on the right side. So they start to target in Dembe, just like Carnell referenced that they wanted to. So Stroud drew the foul. It was an Edu Leuven free kick. Sam positioned himself on the near post on the, the wall, so to speak, or the line that, that city had. When Sam was running near post, you could see that Alan Polito was marking him. Polito was in between Leuven and Sam and when Leuven's cross went up, it curled perfectly just over Polito's head, right to where Sam was. Sam headed it home, buried it near corner to put St. Louis up one nothing, and City Park erupted. That was yeah, that was a great moment. Uh, I was watching uh, the replay before the um, the podcast, and um, the the announcer was saying, I, I didn't see this on the field, but. The announcer was saying that Tim Milia was uh, like yelling at Alan Pulido after the goal, um, just because uh, that ball went went over him, and Sam was right there to uh, to cash in on that. But um, but yeah, it was um, it was a tough moment. Um, it was tough before the goal. Like uh, Sporting KC created a couple of chances, and uh, it looked like the momentum was was going their way. But the goal just came. <laughs> 
at the right time and um, everything changed after that. I do want to call out one thing too, because this is funny. Tim Melio was very upset with Alan Polito. I don't know whose idea it was for Polito to be marking Sam Adenron. Let's right. be honest here. Objectively, Alan Polito is five foot nine. Sam Adenron is six foot five. Who in their right mind would have Alan Polito marking Sam Adenron inside on a corner or on a cross rather? What like I just don't understand the logic of if you're positioning your defense to have that player, Alan Polito, marking the tallest man on the field. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, you know, that is obviously was a, a plus for us. You know, having the height in general is an advantage, especially on those kinds of plays. And Sam took advantage of it. I personally love to see it. I know you did too. But then the second goal I thought was very, very impressive from City because it spoke to the principle of not letting up. This was two minutes later. But that the concept of two minutes later doesn't do it justice. It mm -hmm. was two sequences after the restart. <laughs> this yeah. was while while the supporter section was still singing happy birthday to Sam, this happened. Because Sam scored on his birthday, obviously, if if you didn't know, and that was just a, an extra cherry on top of the whole the whole night. But after this restart, there was this uh, one sequence where Sporting Kansas City played it out. It ended up going past the end line for a St. Louis goal kick. Roman Berkey passed it long to Nico Joachini on the left. The ball went out of play. Nico got it, quickly threw it back in, and he's good about that. We know he, he drew, he's drawn a yellow cards from players earlier, from keepers earlier this year about quick restarts. He's very, he's very mindful of what he's doing. So he gets the ball, quickly throws it into Klaus uh, towards the end line. Klaus couldn't quite recover it, but all Kansas City's defense could do is clear it from their end line to find Jared Stroud, who intercepted the ball at the top of the box. Stroud recovered it played it around Remy Walter, who himself had just entered the game for Sporting Kansas City in the 67th minute, just nine minutes before. And then Stroud nailed a left foot shot to the bottom right corner, passed Tim Ely to put City up 2 nothing. Yeah, back to uh, what you were saying, that it was like right away. Uh, we, on the broadcast, we weren't like, we were still talking about the goal and uh, we have to do like some reads uh, after goals. And I was like finishing a read and I had to stop. I didn't finish the read because I knew something was going on. Uh, and uh, that kind of, to me, that killed the game. Um, that basically after that, um, Sporting KC couldn't do much. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those goals. Uh, it just shows the principles, um, pressing, trying to get the ball, go with numbers. If, if you see that you're going to get the ball and um, Stroud, um, Stroud put it away very well, and uh, that put away the game for me. So there was a period of time between the second and third goals, not very long, but there was a, a six six minutes, I believe, that, that that progressed. And Sporting KC did try to dominate possession between that the quick window there. Um, it was four. It was four minutes. So in that quick window, they tried to dominate possession a little bit, having having a little more opportunities, but St. Louis wasn't having any of it. And it, this this next goal, the third goal, happened again from a forced turnover. This was this was a St. Louis team who had been pressing high at the moment, and it was a first forced turnover in the middle of the field where Anthony Marcanic passed the ball long to Nico Joachini. Most of the team was still high from this press, so you had like Joachim Nilsson was still beyond midfield. Mm -hmm. The team was still very high, and that this worked well to their advantage because when Marcanic passed long to Nico. Most of the team being high, you had numbers. You had some overloads being created. Nico had just a little soft touch with his head to move the ball upfield. Sam Adenron recovered a 50-50 ball on the left channel. He got it back to Edu Leuven on the left. Leuven took the ball from the left wing and kind of positioned himself towards the middle of the field. And you could see it's almost remembering back to Jake Nerwinski's cross <laughs> to Klaus against Minnesota last week. You could see that same idea. Now, Klaus wasn't as far back from the field as he was for last week but Leuven crossed the ball found a wide open Klaus in behind the defense on the far post Klaus heads it or Klaus buries it with his right foot rather and puts City up three nothing again perfect communication between your two designated players you have Leuven with the service you have Klaus with the finish and and the party continues three nothing City yeah, when Lewin got the ball this time around, it was it was Klaus signaling. Uh, when Lewin got the ball, you could see yeah. Klaus like raising his hand and like trying to get Lewin's attention, and just yeah. perfect placement by by Lewin. And um, 
Klaus did a good job putting away too. Like, yeah, you can create those great plays, but uh, if you are not clinical at finishing, um, you won't you won't be able to to finish up the chance. But Klaus, uh, he's doing he's doing great. That was his ninth goal of the season. Uh, the rumor is that he heard the podcast, and and when we did that over under, he was disappointed that we that it was only nine point five goals. That's that's fair. <laughs> I uh, and we we thought that we were being conservative. Let's, let's be honest here. We know what Klaus has in him because there's a stat that we're going to read in a minute that kind of speaks to his effectiveness and his efficiency in scoring goals. But we did over the past two weeks on Fallout. I remember specifically we had been saying as Klaus has been racking up these goals coming back, he's now at five goals in five games. But since coming back, he's you know started to get there. He's gained momentum. He left having scored five goals uh, from his injury. And yeah, you have to be, you have to think, all right, he's doing well, but City likes to spread the ball around. You know, we we have some braces here and there, but what he what he did in this game, um, it was too too perfect for our predictions, I think. Having having said last week over under 9.5 for the season, talked the last two weeks about how we want him to get to double digits because that would just be such a a reflection of his effectiveness and his importance to this team that he can miss four months of the year and still get to double digit goals by the end of the season. And then what ended up happening in the 85th minute was it was almost Klaus forcing the issue, right? Because I know you're joking, but at the same time, the the way he scored this goal was nothing short of uh, masterful work on an individual mm-hmm. level all started. So this happened in the 85th minute Klaus from Stroud Sporting Kansas City had a fast break opportunity, and this spoke to Jared Stroud's effectiveness as a sub to me because when SKC was forcing that the the transition, they had a potential call for a handball really quickly. Thank God we didn't have to deal with that again. I know, I know. I, I, I put it in the notes, and I was like, oh, should we address it? But yes, <laughs> I want to address it because it wasn't a thing. It was a, it was a potential call that the players wanted against sporting Kansas city, but it didn't amount to anything. It didn't need to because Stroud intercepted the ball in transition in the middle of the field. Very well played it left to Sam, then left to Leuven. Um, when, when Stroud positioned himself at the top of the box, I saw, I had to look back like twice on this replay because Stroud gets it to Sam, Sam gets it to Leuven and Leuven's over on the left again, as kind of as he was for the cross because he played a very effective left side um, number eight role after the subs went on. So Leuven has this ball, and Stroud, after having recovered the ball in the midfield, played played himself off the ball into space very well to the top of the box. Stroud is able, or Leuven is able to find Stroud at the top of the box, and then Stroud just takes it really quickly and kind of has a hard pass to Klaus. Klaus's recovery of the ball and shot was a one-touch volley to himself. And I don't know how physically he was able to do this because I, I watched it three or four times and it gets more <laughs> impressive each time you watch it. He recovers it with his right foot and then somehow he plays it to his left side across Logan and Dembe. And then without missing a beat, he punches it home with his right foot again. I, like, I don't know. We've talked about Sam Adeneron and his left footed ability to just like find a little bit of space and flick it in. Well, this Klaus shot was a volley to himself around a player with the same foot. What more could you ask for in an individual performance to say, yeah, I knew I needed to get to 10 goals. I wanted to do it tonight and I was going to make it happen. Yeah. uh, I thought last night, I thought it was a left footed shot. It wasn't until I saw the replay this morning. Uh, and even if it was a left footed shot, it was still impressive. But uh, when I, I saw the replay, impressive that it was right footed. Yeah, I, when I, I saw he was able to do that. When I saw the replay this morning, I was like, "What? That was a right footed shot? Wow!" Um, kudos to Klaus uh, getting to double digits quicker than what we thought, and um, I'm sure he he's gonna score at least one more in the next two games. Yeah, over under on Klaus scoring. Uh, 0.5 goals in the next two games. We're going to take, we're going to smash the over on that. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Okay. So it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows it, for nothing. Everybody's partying. 
Oh, uh, we, we just got uh, uh, on the on the live uh, chat, uh, Josh Biggs uh, said that he sent us a, a picture and it was a clearly, uh, clearly <laughs> was a humble, but it's, good, it's a good thing we didn't have to worry about it. You know, I was wondering after that, as, as the play started to progress real time, I was, I saw the calls uh, from the players on the field and thinking, oh God, here we go. It was so such a relief that Jared Stroud intercepted that ball, and even more of a relief that the sequence kind of progressed after that. But um, I do think wasn't it inside the box even because it was either inside or right outside mm-hmm. yeah. the penalty box. Yeah. Uh, thank thank God that we don't have to deal with that, and maybe we don't have to say that word again for the next couple of weeks. It's in it, it's inevitable that we'll end up saying it by the end of the season. But I'm okay to move on and. Whether it was uh, actually one, when you look at the replay, um, thanks Josh for letting us know that it was, but I'm so glad we don't have to worry about it. But there was there was one thing that we did have to worry about, and and um, I have a takeaway from this one, Santi, and it's not that the clean sheet was ruined, it's not that we allowed mm-hmm. a goal, but we'll get to it. Um, subs were made at the 90th minute. Nuke V. Thorson, Kyle Hebert, Thomas Allstrock came on for... Klaus, Markanik, and Leuven. 90 plus three, William Agata gets one back for Sporting KC from Daniel Shallowy. And it was a transition moment. So just like City has been, the one thing that has been lacking defensively consistently has been their transition defense. It's the nature of the beast, so to speak, as far as their style of play goes. When you're a pressing team and you have your fullbacks high, and you have your center backs as your your two points of, of defense, you're going to get caught at times. And the fewer number of times, the, the amount you can mitigate that just goes to show how good of a team you are defensively. What happened here wasn't necessarily that we were beat in transition, though. It was a transition moment. The ball was played from the central to Daniel Shallowy over on City's right, so Sporting's left. This is where Jake Nerwinski was. Shallowy's shot was blocked by Nerwinski, I believe. And Shallowy was able to recover, get the ball high on a cross to the far post. He found William Agata, who'd just gotten past Kyle Hebert inside goal to head it past Berkey to end the clean sheet 4-1. When you saw this, what was your immediate takeaway? Immediate takeaway um, was, okay, there, there it goes, the clean sheet, but back to uh, how the play happened obviously you had some new guys that that uh, had just come in and uh Nubi Torison was actually involved um in the in the in city's attack before uh, that before Kansas recovered the ball but it's just to me it's just like okay the new guys that have just come in they just want to continue pushing and maybe create a chance show that uh because remember like we're getting very close to the playoffs, um, to the beginning of the playoffs. So still internal competitions for, for some positions. So everybody wants to show, um, that they can, that they can add value and, and be an option uh, for those games. So to me, it's just that nature of, okay, even though we're winning for nothing, I still have something to prove. And, um, and, uh, this happened, um, in April when city plays Cincinnati at five, nothing, uh, some, some subs came in. Uh, one of them was um, um, Isaac Jensen, and same thing. He, he ended up uh, losing the ball, and then uh, Cincinnati in transition scored a goal. To me, it looked like similar to that game, up uh, for nothing. But the new guys want to continue pushing, and and uh, it's just unfortunate that um, the clean sheet. Um, went away with that and and you could see the reaction from Berkey and from Parker and and from uh Nielsen and Bradley Carnell talk about it during the press conference too yeah the goal that after the after the game on the goal I think Roman Berkey said it pretty well um saying yeah it's just not me and and when I say this quote um I'm gonna lead into your point of internal competition, but also my my takeaway from ultimately w- what happened with the goal. Berkey said, yeah, it's just not me. I saw Tim angry too. Joachim disappointed too. Worked really hard for a clean sheet. It's something special uh, for the back line and for me too. 
uh, for the whole defensive line and for me too. Obviously, I just if you think you have this mentality that it bothers you, even though we're four four goals up, that when we are not concentrated or focused enough to keep a clean sheet, because to be honest, it was unnecessary to concede that goal. We lose the ball, and then with the transition, we concede that goal in the last action of the game where we just have to be smarter. And I think that shows that the whole team and the defensive line has the right mentality to go really far in this season. If we keep working like this with this mentality, we're going to be even better next year. So Berkey talks about having having the the focus and intensity to keep the clean sheet, not allowing that one goal in the dying moments of the game because the game ended on the next restart. They, they immediately blew the whistle. That's why I think it was more frustrating than anything is because it was just one lapsed at the very end and i honestly hate to i I always hate to draw attention to one single player for uh, a moment of of lapse in judgment or in what they were doing but it's really hard not to draw this exact conclusion of 90 minutes we make subs kyle hebert is one of those subs comes in for anthony marcanic three minutes later our transition defense which had been largely and very successful early in the game then allows a goal where Kyle Hebert is the one who is covering Agata and Agata slips in behind him. I don't know if Kyle Hebert was ball watching. I don't know uh, if Kyle Hebert didn't realize that Agata was um, able to have space. If, if there was enough space for him in behind him uh, towards goal, but your your comment about internal competitions, I think this is important to remember in that context. Kyle Hebert had been City's left-back option primarily since the first Sporting Kansas City game. And one of the hallmarks of Bradley Carnell this year is if players are healthy and fit and informed together and they're facilitating wins for City, they're going to see more time on the field. They're going to stay on the field and they're going to see a long run of play. The only few times that I can think of where we've had significant changes in um, in those internal spots, whether it's right back, whether it's the number 10, whether it's the striker position, it's, it's when rotation has been required or injuries have been occurring and you need to slide in other guys, but they perform so well that you can't take them off the field. This is Anthony Marcanic to me where Anthony Marcanic came in and he he might not have initially been the the yes we're going to replace Kyle Hebert at left back with Anthony Marcanic that's what our goal is but he was brought in as almost a Johnny Nelson type player where you know his attacking credentials in college he was a goal scorer he hadn't been given an opportunity with Rapids too but over the past few games he cemented himself as a two-way player a very very significant two-way player for St. Louis on the offense and his defense was was pretty well in this game. I thought he he did a very strong defensive performance. In fact, he led the team in tackles plus interceptions last night with eight. The next highest was Jake Nerwinski with five. So his ability to impact the ball the play defensively just as strong as his offense. You take that that notion and and what he's been able to do over the past few games, and you compare it to this one moment where Kyle Hebert does get a chance to come back in the game. Kyle Hebert is a very defensive-minded uh, defender on the back line, whether it's a center back or left back. I, 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 he's, he's clearly not a, a tried-and-true fullback, but he had been doing a serviceable job, a good job, in getting us where we needed to be from the first sporting game to a few games ago. I think this job is now firmly in the, in the grasp of Anthony Marcanic. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, he has done a great job and, and he started like, uh, coming like second half and then he got his first start and, and he, he's not giving, he's not giving away, uh, that left back position. Um, but it's, it has been great to see, uh, his development and he has scored a goal and, and he, he's really good when, when the team is, is attacking and transitioning. Um, but yeah, it's been great to see a young player, developing and even a player that um, came uh, late in the season he was signed during the transfer window but he has done a great job uh, acclimating to the team and doing uh, what the coaches uh, have asked him to do that's another thing going into this the, the back half so we mentioned Jake Nerwinski earlier you can't help but really enjoy this back line of Anthony Marcanic and Jake Nerwinski and I don't want to put too much focus on on the one defensive lapse because it was a 4-1 win and there's plenty of positives to take away but 
think that's the one thing to consider if you're looking for lessons learned or you're looking for what could change for City to be even more effective. Because it, it's, I mean, you're you're really looking uh, not to look a gift horse in the mouth, but you're really looking at how can you take yourself from a four-one win to a long run in the playoffs. Like, what are the few mm-hmm. things that you need to look at to be to really shore this thing up? And that focus for ninety minutes, that last moment, even in stoppage, that's something that the team's going to take away. And when you're when you're seeing guys like Berkey and Parker and Nilsson, three of your strongest players, your leaders on the team. Coming away from the match, uh, a little disappointed. Even Carnell had said post game that it wasn't a joyous locker room. Like the way mm-hmm. that game ended, left an indelible mark on them. And I think that's the lesson that they're carrying forward: is we have to hold ourselves to the standard. And that's an exciting standard as fans to know that City holds themselves to. We're not dealing with uh, a scenario like Charlotte. We're not dealing with a scenario like Austin uh, in their first year. Right? It's it's a it's a higher standard that no expansion team has really we've ever seen bar maybe Atlanta and LAFC but even now we're starting to look past that we're starting to look into history books in our own right so exciting things to take away from the game a few things to correct but Santi there's just so so many things we could spotlight about this game players uh the team themselves let's go into the individual players real quick um Roman Berkey was the player of the match he had he had six saves, 29 passes, 15 long balls, just one goal allowed. His XGA, his uh, expected goals against or goals allowed was 1.81. So this shows that his effectiveness in net was uh, it, it was mitigating a lot of their opportunities. We know SKC actually led the expected goals in the second half by just a bit. They had one uh, on their one goal. It was a 0.32 XG. And so that was a vast majority, but they did beat edge out St. Louis just a bit in the XG in the second half. Roman Berkey, especially with that sequence at the beginning of the second half, he had multiple moments where he saved the game. And then we talked about his, his ability to kind of change the course of the next few moments and the sequences that followed. So Roman Berkey, I think the the vote actually might have happened before Klaus's brace. If I recall. Oh, okay. That so, makes sense. Yes. And so that, that might explain that a little bit, you know, they, they do the man of the match vote on the app around like the 80th minute or so, maybe a little bit before that. And so Berkey had already kind of collected a pretty decent yeah. amount of the vote before that. Yeah, um, because my, my man of the match was Klaus. Uh, yes. But yeah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, the vote was uh, before he scored his two goals. Uh, but again, Berkey did a great job and um, he makes uh, some saves that can change the game or keep City in the game. And he has been great at that the whole season, every game. He has one or two uh, crucial saves that keep the team in the game or or avoid uh, a game that could, that uh, goal that could tie the game. So it's great to have a goalkeeper like him. And I just go back to the beginning of the season, uh, like people not believing in CD. And one of the things um, that they will call out was, oh, they may regret signing a, a goalkeeper for so much money, but he's showing that he's worth every penny. Absolutely. And let's pivot to obviously the next player who I think by the end of the match was a lot of people's consensus man of the match, and that's Klaus. So with with Klaus's brace, we talked about how he's now at 10 goals. So with his brace, he's at 10 goals for the season. He has five goals in his last five games. His 10 goals have come in just 13 games started and 17 games played. Missing 14 or missing four months rather of the season and still having 10 goals. Now he's tied with Nico Joachini for lead on the team, but he's also the only player for city to have scored 10 non PK goals. One of Joachini's goals came on a PK earlier in the season that he took for Leuven. Well-known, well-documented, but Klaus, every single one of his goals have come off of either the run of play, a set piece, a corner, something uh, non PK related, incredible job by Klaus in a very short amount of time. He's, he's one of the league leaders in goals per minutes played. And it is a testament to his impact to the team. Bradley Carnell said it really well post-game. Carnell said, yeah, strikers ooze when they are feeling. When they are in the groove, they're difficult to stop. But what you'll notice about Klaus, he's the first one to get his head down and recover. He's the first one to help out in the defense. He's the first one to just point his fingers at his friends and get them all together and get them re-energized. And he brings a lot of energy and he holds a lot of people accountable, right? Myself as well. Everyone, we're all all on our toes because Klaus is a winner by nature. You can just see he breathes and his heart beats for points and goals. Carnell said, I even said to him, Klaus, do you want to go for three or do you want to come off? 
He said, no coach, it's okay. You can decide. And we made a choice and we kept the birthday boy, Sam on the field. And that's what it was. Right. But he's a good teammate as well. So, you know, yeah, he gives the best hugs every morning in the breakfast room to everybody. So we love Klaus around here. And I, I wanted to say that full quote because the, the full quote speaks to Klaus's impact on and off the field, but it also speaks to just how much respect Bradley Carnell has for him. To go up to him and to offer, hey, do you want to come off? Do you want to let Sam stay on the full time? You know, we're up. We're up significantly. Do you want to go for an extra one? Like that's respect from a coach and it has to be earned by a player. So everything Klaus is doing on and off the field is living up to all the expectations we had when we first signed a DP striker. Yeah, sorry for the noise. I had a a dog uh, doing dog things here, but uh, but yeah, no, it's great to see Klaus uh, back and back with goals. Uh, this week during the the press conference, he he talked about being back and he said, yeah, the first couple of games, um, I wasn't happy with my performance and I didn't think um, I was playing at, at the level I should be playing. But, but uh, man, when, when, you, when you scored a goal, uh, your first goal after being back, uh, that gives you a, a lot of confidence. And uh, it's good that he, he scored um, on his first start and uh, things have just been going up from there. And yeah, you, you were mentioning um, he has only played uh, 17 games, 10 goals in 1,200 minutes. Uh, that has to be up there. Uh, if you go uh, minutes per goal, uh, that's probably one of the best uh, in the league. Easily, easily. And can you imagine, the one thing I saw on Twitter last night is if if Klaus had not gotten injured, what kind of conversation would we, ha- would we be having about him in context with the MVP race, the league, the golden boot, all of these things. And that's the one thing that I can point to this year where the magical run we're on, the dream season, what if Klaus had been healthy this entire time? You, you don't know how that's going to impact every other player, and so you might not have the it, – It's I hate to look at that kind of thing in uh, in context of where we are in the season, but it's just something you have to wonder about Klaus individually. There were yeah. a few other players. There were a few other players that had some really good moments before we get into the club and and where we go from here. Um, Sam Adeneron can't go without mentioning him. Started the goal scoring. He has eight goals on the season. He's third on the team in goals. Uh, he's he's got five goals in the last seven games. He has only started ten games. He's only played sixteen for City. Another beneficiary of Klaus being injured. To be honest, um, I made a note on on Twitter last night that. We acquired Sam Adeneron for two up to $200,000 in GAM from the Seattle Sounders. Sam Adeneron had been toiling with the Tacoma Defiance. He'd been on loan with the San, with San Antonio FC in USL. He had not been given an opportunity. I don't think he ever would have been given an opportunity in Seattle. And so for St. Louis to acquire him for up to $200,000 in GAM, including performance incentives, which I can almost guarantee he's met yeah. at this point. Was it, goals, 10 games. Was it 100 and 100? Or it was 100 was... and 100, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 100 guaranteed that we gave him, and then 100 based on performance incentives. And 10 games started, 16 games played, eight goals. No matter how you slice it, I think he's met it. It has been worth every penny for us. Yeah, same thing. Um, only 10 stars, 16, 16 games he has played in, and uh, 874 minutes. So again, um, eight goals. Oh, that's a, a little over a, a, a one goal every hundred minutes. Um, so, so yeah, he has taken this this opportunity, and um, maybe he will be another double digit uh, goal scorer by by the end of the season. Uh, only two games left, so uh, he will have to to do it uh, in just two games. But but yeah, no, he the way he plays, um, I, I like when when he's on the field. Uh, the way he goes on on that left side and he wins. Uh, one v ones. He was having a great duel with uh, Jake Davis yesterday, and and uh, that uh, that tackle. Um, oh, Bradley Carnell yeah. referred to it as a game changing uh, moment. That, that that set the set the set the the mood and uh, the pace for the rest of the game. And so so yeah, great great job by that um And I, I was just uh, seeing the three of them on the field. Um, I was um, amazed by the way the, the the three of them can can play and um, 
Nico Joachini go behind Adrian and Klaus and the way the three of them can can play when they are on the field, um, I think it's going to be very useful during the playoff run. I'm so glad you brought up that tackle because we we could not do this show without talking about that that Sam tackle to it was everything Johnny Russell's tackle against Houston wasn't last <laughs> right. Week. This is how you tackle this. I mean, this was appropriately derided by sporting Kansas fans because of how intense it was. This was a, the game changing tackle that happened and it, it was so intense. It was so quick and physical, but he got ball. He didn't go studs up. That's, it was such a clinical tackle. When you, when you show players how you should be tackling for the ball this is the this is exhibit A on if you're going to go for the ball, go for the ball like this. If you're going to go hard, make sure you do it like this. You might not want to regularly because it's a dangerous tackle. Yeah. You be really, really e- efficient in what you're doing here. It would be really smart. But if you're going to go for it, this is a high-level tackle. And it was, it was just an amazing moment by Sam. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we cannot end the podcast uh, without talking about Edward Leuven. Who had a night himself. No, yeah. Jared Stroud picked up his fifth goal of the season, but Edu Leuven, from a service and delivery perspective, Leuven recorded a hat trick of assists in this game. It's the second time he's accomplished that. The other match was against Austin a couple months ago in the restart of MLS play where we scored six goals. And so you're seeing if City's going to have an outburst of goals, Edu Leuven is going to be at the center of it. Edu, Edu Leuven is going to be the facilitator behind that. Whether it's the... The, the final pass to get it in off of a set piece or um, off of just a, a pass into the middle of the field to Stroud, or if it's going to be the second pass where he has had that to Stroud and then to Klaus. Edu Leuven, Carnell said at the end of the game that his role in general is difficult. And I like this, this final quote from Carnell that we have. It's a tough role to play, the eight. And if you're all out pressing, it's long distances to go, long distances to recover. So we try to be strategic in how we deploy that press. And when we deployed it, and again, Edu actually sometimes gets better as the game goes on, and he starts covering more ground in the second half. So, you know, we know he can cover tons of ground, and he's a weapon in our transition game, in our final third possession pro- progression. You know what I mean? Getting into the final third, he's dangerous with us, so he has the ability to connect that next pass, and usually in those eight pockets, you find a bit more time and space. And this is Leuven with his vision for the field, being the game changer, the way he can see individual pockets of space and know where the ball needs to be placed. He can see matchups from free kicks. He can see openings. He can see tendencies. We've, we've seen in the past this entire year where he's able to sl- he slot sl- uh, the free kick goal against Miami. Remember how he looked at calendar and he saw yep. he was fading a little bit. That's an example of Leuven seeing players tendencies and how they're fading and able to make adjustments. I'm sure he saw that Sam Adeneron, six foot five Sam Adeneron, was being marked by five foot nine Alan Polito. And he saw a perfect opportunity to get it near post over Polito. I mean, those abilities for Leuven to see and affect significant change consistently is one of, it has to be one of the top three game changers season long for City. That's another player that you could say if he had not gotten injured, he could be in the conversation for MVP. He missed some time, but has 14 assists, uh, six goals, so 20 goal contributions by by Edo Leuven. And, and I think uh, same thing as, as we were talking about Klaus, he could be in the conversation for, for MVP. Unreal performances by our highest level players that have gotten us this far. So let's look at a few club facts taking away from this before we head out, Santi. This win was City's ninth home victory where the team scored three or more goals this season. City has scored at least three goals in nine of their 11 home wins this in MLS play. They've got Charlotte, San Jose, Cincinnati, Sporting Kansas, Vancouver Whitecaps, Houston Dynamo, Inter-Miami, Austin, and again, Sporting. City extended its unbeaten streak to five consecutive matches in MLS play. City extended its home unbeaten streak to six consecutive matches, which dates back to the 2-0 win over the Rapids on July 1st. With this win, City has now earned 35 points in home matches this season, which is second most home points by an expansion team in their inaugural season in MLS history, excluding the shootout era. City has picked up their 56th point of the season. So Bradley Carnell now is tied with Bob Bradley, um, Dominic Torrent, and Jeff Cesar for fifth most points earned by a first-year head coach in MLS history. This is not just an expansion side. We're talking first-year head coach records here. 
Bradley Carnell is now positioning himself as a head coach in general alongside historical expansion team notes. Those are some great names to remember from the Chicago Fire, from NYCFC, and from Real Salt Lake, respectively. So you're seeing Bradley Carnell as a coach now get uh, individual accolades and individual record book mentions. But all of these stats that I just mentioned, Santi, goes to home field advantage for St. Louis City. The importance of playing at City Park is is so huge for this club. And when you talk about where we go from here and what like the the impacts to home field advantage in the playoffs, these stats underscore them. Not just the form that we're in, but the consistency throughout the year. Just picked up our 11th win at home. Like all of these things speak to why first in the West, second in the West, home field as much as we can get it in the playoffs is going to be huge. So speaking of consistency, uh, I, I have a, a note here. Uh, Carnell was talking about um, the season this week uh, during the press conference, and he basically he alluded to, to being consistent. Um, 29 points in 17 games during the first half of the season. And uh, before yesterday, it was uh, 24 points and basically he said, yeah, we're on pace to, to match that first 17 games. Now, 27 points in 15 games, and uh, they're very close to that 29 points again and continue making history, breaking records. Uh, I think uh, that 11 win at home, um, I was trying to look for it, but I, I, I can't find it on my notes or on the notes from City. But uh, I think that also ties a record on wins at home by an expansion team. So you have one more game, and that could be another record you could set. There's a lot of uh, history riding on these last two games, even if we can wrap up home field advantage uh, and the conference title later on today, Sunday, October 1st. So going from here, let's let's kind of see where both these teams go. And why not start with Sporting Kansas? Because they remain 10th in the conference on 38 points. They fall to 10, 14, and 8 on the season with a minus 6 goal differential after 32 games played. They are now 3 points out of the ninth and final playoff spot. We mentioned on Flyover this past week that this would be the this would be the first time since 2007 that Sporting goes back to back seasons without making the playoffs. Uh, St. Louis, as much as we can, put the nail in the coffin for them, and it's going to be difficult for Sporting to dig themselves out of this hole. St. Louis, though, St. Louis remains first in the West with 56 points, improving to 17, 10, and five with a plus 22 goal differential. Absolutely ins- absurd. At the time of our recording, Santi here. Seattle drew Nashville SC last night, Saturday night. LAFC is yet to play on Sunday night. And now City can finish no worse than second place in the conference, which in and of itself makes it the most successful expansion team of all time, excluding the shootout era with Chicago Fire. LAFC finished third. Atlanta finished fourth to start their times in MLS in 2018 and 2017, respectively. They're just one point now off of LAFC's 2018 record of 57 total points for an expansion side in their inaugural year, and we have two games left. This point about the points. So I want the I, I've said the Leuven quote was the final one. I actually have a good one from Carnell here post game. He said, "Post game, we need a couple more points to make 58 points. I believe to make it all of our own because 17 and not 58 points is it the best expansion year? I'm not sure. But again, we're just trying to get the next three points, and Vancouver comes around pretty quickly." Santi, we we talk about the fact that Carnell always says we just look at the next game, we look at the yeah. next game. These little quotes here give us a glimpse into really what they're thinking of, all of the things that they have in mind. So for him, post-game of this 4-1 victory over Sporting Casey, to include this note, you know it's in his mind. He has these numbers offhand, <laughs> ability to spout them off. You know that they play a factor in what he's thinking long-term. Yeah, totally. And he, he uh, yeah, he always says, yeah, next game, that's our mentality. But uh, you have you have heard a few quotes during the season. He always talks about uh, internal goals. Um, we will never find out what those internal goals are, but uh, maybe this could be one of them. And maybe it wasn't at the beginning of the season, but as things keep progressing and, and the team continue to racking up points, uh, I think maybe this is now a goal. Santi, anything else before we go today? Uh, no, no, we'll have that preview of uh, Vancouver tomorrow afternoon. Um, no, no, no preview today, but uh, we right. will have something tomorrow afternoon. Special episode of Flyover, Flyover Foodie. 
it's too much to celebrate, right? We we went about an hour and there's too much to discuss, too much excitement going on about Sporting KC. Um, I may do a little bit of an addendum to the pod as, as it's released. So we're trying to get this out on Sunday, but if you're listening to it on Monday, I may have something um, added to the end of this if things fall right, because LAFC plays Sunday night. We always like to be up to date here. And so I want to have the latest news and info. So we're all going to be watching LAFC Sunday evening uh, because if they tie or lose, St. Louis clinches the conference. Be watching that. Be excited. Everybody might be celebrating Sunday night. We'll see what happens. But for now, Santi and I will be back for a special stream and pod, a short preview of Vancouver on Monday afternoon. So hopefully you'll join us there. We'll have the pod out after we finish that. As we look to Vancouver midweek, and then we have a bit of a break ahead of us before decision day against Seattle after that. Santi, thanks for joining me for this celebration. 4-1 St. Louis City victory over Sporting KC to win the season series. And we'll talk to you later. Vamos City.